Hey, what's good, people? This is episode 170. This is the Option Podcast. That guy over there looks like Edward Miskey. <laughs> maybe, oh maybe God, not. <laughs> We're going to find out. The episode starts right now. How you doing, Eddie? Edward? I'm good. I'm good. Oh my God, Eddie, my grandma calls me that. <laughs> no. What do you prefer? Edward. Yeah. Yeah, Edward. Yeah. That's your freaking name. Good. <laughs> Ain't nobody yeah. calling me Jay. <laughs> but <All right. laughs> episode 170, people. This is the Option Podcast along with Edward Miskey. I'm Jason DeBeas. Got to give the people what they want. Got to give the people what they want. Um, you've quite the journey, dude, uh, um, that you put all into this book. That, um, man, I tried to get, I got back from Vegas, went to Barnes and Nobles to try to buy it. And they're like, well, you have to like pre-order and pay for it first. And I'm just like, you're a, you're a dude, you're a bookstore. Dude, you're a bookstore. You're a bookstore. Yeah. (laughs) You know, this is why Amazon wins. Yeah. This is why Amazon (laughs) wins. And you, and you, and you, you, you guys are losers. Absolute losers. So. Um, I, know. I do love Barnes and Noble though. I, it yeah. was one of the places like when I first moved to New York that I'd like sit in with my laptop and like a little coffee and just like people watch and be like, "Oh, I'm I'm a New Yorker now." Yeah. So we're <laughs> so definitely like, gonna get into the book. Um, yeah. But chron- chron- chronology wise, uh, we're just gonna be in charge of driving each other off the cliff and coming back on. Um, when did you start performing? Oh God! I mean, I think the first time I was on a stage, I might have been four. Uh, it was definitely at a church, and it was definitely at my uh, parents' request. <laughs> uh, both both of them are musicians. My mom plays piano, my dad plays guitar, and so they were kind of like in charge of the church music stuff. And like you know, I got dragged on stage to sing, and you know that was kind of it. Just having the little church church people clap at me. It was like, oh, okay, <laughs> positive reinforcement. <laughs> what kind of church was it? Was it Sing Hymnals Church or was it people speaking in tongues, doing no, cart, cartwheels up and down the aisle? Hmm? Yeah, no, it was a it was a hymnal. It was a very uh, it was very white Catholic hymnal, middle of Pennsylvania kind yeah. of church. Um, you That's know, how I grew up. Uh, yeah, yeah, same. It was like it was Catholic school all the way for the most part, and uh, yeah, that was it was quite quite a, a minefield to kind of navigate with that and doing theater and you know growing up gay in the middle of you know pennsylvania isn't exactly like something you want to do or aspire to and, <laughs> which and is dr- why i moved to new york yeah and drawing the <laughs> timeline too like the chronology they were yeah where yeah. pennsylvania was kind of more at the tail end of it new york got ahead of the game a little bit um a little yeah, bit yeah totally but i'm with you with the church i grew up catholic and then 13 years old from catholic to assemblies of god and you can imagine like the oh, shock <laughs> You know? Right, you're like, what are you doing? Stop yeah. talking. It's Dude, supposed to be quiet. It calls. <laughs> Dude, that's the kind of thing you call your social services on your parents for. You know, <laughs> you know shock, shock the kid from oh, amen. To, to, you know, if you don't know if you're going to heaven or hell, you going to hell. Right, someone's, someone's <laughs> falling on the floor or something. Oh, man. So your first musical, I, I read that your first musical that you saw was 42nd Street. And yes. special significance to me because it was my second one. <clears throat> my first oh, one, really? My first one was The Wiz. 
Okay, cool. And, you know, I'm from a black family. My mom's black. Um, my father's uh -huh. white, but I grew up Flatbush. You know, if you're from New York, Flatbush is predominantly West Indian and black. And yeah. they wanted me to see The Wiz and then just go away from musical theater. And I'm like, nah, the hell with that. I want to see something else. No, so, that's such so a good So 42nd Street. Um, yeah, man. When, that, did you, when did you see it? Was that like the, it was the revival, like 2000? I'm giving away my age. I saw it in 1982. Oh. Yeah. You are giving away your age, but you got to see the Jerry Orbach production. I should, but man, I mean, just what, what just listen legend. to listen to her. Common meat, you know that little bass, those dancing yep. feet. Oh, oh no, God. I love it. It's so good. I mean, it was so like my aunt works on Broadway. She's back now. She's she's doing Sweeney Todd, but like, mm -hmm. um, she, that was the first Broadway show that she worked at. And, you know, the whole family came up to see it. Like we were friends with the guy who was uh, the lead guy and. We got to go backstage and miss, meet Christine Ebersole, and you know, it's just such a it was such a magic day, you know. And it was the one of the first times, if not the first time, I kind of realized like, oh, like you can make money doing this. This is like a thing you can do for a job. And then from that, on, like the well was poisoned from then on out. Like I didn't want to do anything else, and it was just like, why am I not being paid for this? You know, like an indignant thirteen year old. <laughs> Dude, you are. <clears throat> you're lighting up just talking about it right now you should well, see it was, you it should was see your face right day. now <laughs> it's you're my lighting ring light. up just talking about it that's awesome it's the, it's the ring light but uh <laughs> <laughs> damn yeah but it was it was a magical day i mean i do remember we were in the orchestra but we were like towards the back and like the mezzanine was over us and i just remember the curtain coming up as in 42nd street as they do the curtain comes up to their knees and they start doing like the big tap opening number thing and it just was like electrifying. Like I still remember how that felt with the sound and just like looking at it. And I probably was trying not to cry, um, but it was just such a cool moment. And then years later, I got to do the show and be Julian. And I got to like stand in the wings and watch the curtain go up and like see the thing. It was such a good full circle moment. Like, oh God, it was so good. I got to tell you, I'm a guy who always proclaims that I hate musicals and I love straight plays, but I lie. think... It's the hugest lie in the United States of America, if not the world. <laughs> I sing karaoke tw twice a week, sometimes three times a week, and every song involves a, a, um, a musical. Yeah. You know, involve, uh, Starlight Express. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, not pump, Starlight pump Express. Pumping iron. <laughs> when I'm working now. You remember that song? Hear me knocking. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, Rocky Horror Show. You know, it was very big when I was growing up. I was at the 8th Street Playhouse back then, which doesn't exist oh, yeah. anymore. Downtown. It's um, gone. Nine years old. I, I didn't even know what a sweet transvestite was. I'm nine years old. It's a midnight <laughs> show, and my aunt, who's supposed to be babysitting my sister and I, we, you know, commute from Brooklyn to the village, and and it's just a good time. People throwing rice. You know how it is. People throwing rice and oh, yeah. uh, whatever. If it's raining, it's raining in the theater. You know, you go in it's like, why? Why are people having raincoats? It's human. It's, it's human as fuck out here. Why? Why are people got raincoats on? But you find out that first night. So right. And yeah, I got yeah, to yeah. play Rocky when I got out of the military. Um, I was a stand-in for Rocky. Uh, oh, hilarious. I, I came out of the military, just just absolutely cut. Uh, my hair was blondish back then. It's like a Jufro now, see that? <laughs> but um, like a, a New York Jufro, but. Yeah. So getting back to theater, I had a question, but I want us to share maybe a story, and maybe it's not a story. I'm going to go, and you're going to go, or you go, and I go. Was there a particular moment, perhaps a play, or perhaps something someone said to you that you said to yourself, I'm doing this for a living. Now, you grew up and you loved it and, and you lit up 
uh, um, but then some people are like, oh, this is fun, you know, but uh, did you grow up in a family where people are like, okay, this is fun, but you got to get a real job when you grow up or, um, or was there, or was the defining moment in your early childhood that you're like, this is what I'm going to do. Boom. The floor is yours, yeah. my man. I mean, it was a mixed bag, right? So like, you know, my grandparents like love to come see the shows, but then we're very like, get a real job someday. Um, you know, like, oh, make sure you go to college and get a degree in something reliable, you know, and then I was like, God. no, and I didn't go to college. God, well, I wish so I listened. Like, <laughs> seriously. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, I didn't end up going to college at all. But um, my parents were always supportive, because again, they're like musical, musicy, music people. And, uh, you know, but then like, I don't know, there, there was just so there's so much push pull. Cause like for the most part, my friends were super supportive. I had music teachers that were really supportive. I had voice teachers that were really supportive. My grandparents were like, get a job. My parents of course wanted to be supportive and they were, but they were also like worried for me. You know, they were like, get, get some skills that you can, you know, marketable skills. Um, you know, and then high school ended and it was really bad. I did not have a good time in high school at all. And I just was like angry and wanted to leave and get the fuck out of there. And I did. I, I graduated May 27th and my lease for my apartment started June 1st. And I was like, I am out of here. It just, I couldn't do it. But I mean, it's really like seeing 42nd street and realizing that people got paid to do it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to do that. And there really was no other moment. It was literally just seeing it and seeing that it was a real thing that I could do. And that was it. Like and, that was, And you knew you fit in. Yeah. I mean, there was no question about it. Like for me, it was just like, this is what I'm doing the end. Mm. When you grow up how I grew up, there's nothing but questions about it. You know, like um, I never knew my real father. My stepfather was an iron worker. You know what I'm saying? He he started work at 14. In fact, my first job was was working for him. He had a little part-time business. And my parents at the kitchen table, they're like, man, you better go get a civil service job. So what happened was after the military, I got a job at a doctor's office, Dr. Rosenfeld, which is one block from Marymount, Manhattan's on 72nd and Lex, where Marymount was like 71st and like 3rd, 3rd and 2nd. And he was the doctor of the stars. So he had like actors, directors, this, and I, I mean, I can name them off. Lauren Bacall, you know, Sophia Loren, Walter Matha, Lemon, um, just, and you know, presidents and uh, just all kinds of people. So what happened was one day Lauren Bacall, who doesn't sit in the waiting room, she sits back there and keeps asking me for drugs, right? Um, <clears throat> do you have any drugs? Do you have any Lipitor, right? Do you have any Nexium? Do you have any, uh, you know, Vi uh, not Viagra, but, but um, <laughs> I actually finally opened my mouth and I was like, Everyone in this office says I should be an actor because I was I was just doing impersonations and I was always in the moment and and I was just dead on balls with like, you know, with timing and everything without even like thinking. And her her answer in the form of a question was she looked at me in the most condescending way and she goes. What else are you doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I was like, man, I said, you know what I said? I said, fuck this chick. And then when I went home, I looked in the mirror and I said, fuck this chick, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and well, I mean, I, I got myself back in school uh, um, academically. My boss got me in academically and I interviewed with, um, with Marymount. They had like 10,000 interviews and they invite 600 to audition. 
Mm-hmm. And I got invited to audition, and they only take 100 for the program and only 40 for the BFA. So I, I, they, at the time, they were ranked number two in the country. Juilliard was one and two. There was like a 10-year period. They were, you know, and you, and yeah. you know, you, you draw the picture in New York. Central Park's in the middle, right? Juilliard's yeah. west, Miramont's east. Um, New York's their campus. Um, right, that's, that's the rivalry there. Yeah, and um, I got in. And that's when I started finishing. But I'm t- I'm kind of with you. When someone asked me what my biggest obstacle was for theater, I told them theater school. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's why I didn't go. Yeah, good no, for you. I, Tell me, talk to me. It, there's like I don't know the theater theater business as a whole is its own obstacle. Like it just has such a hard time getting out of its own way. And you know, I think we're finally seeing some cracks in that now, which is good. I mean, there's a there's a I don't know if it's still running, but there was a play on Broadway that finally was like live streaming, you know, like, thank God. Like, why are we alienating? Like, the thing is, I could go on about this forever. Um, Shows close faster than they ever have now because ticket prices are so high and it costs so much to put shows on Broadway. And, you know, union rates, of course, like we want everyone to be paid fairly, but they're so high. And like, it really is very limiting on how you can put a show up successfully and you know the the metropolitan opera just did this with uh the hours opera a friend of mine was in that and they put they put the hours opera in movie theaters for a weekend or i think it was two weekends in a row and their first weekend they made almost a million dollars and it's like why is broadway not doing something like that it doesn't necessarily have to be movie theater but like if you're live streaming or you have a pro shot or something that you could like, even if you just set a camera up in the back and shoot the show and put it behind a paywall and charge X amount of dollars to see it, like that's money you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And the, the model of theater as a business is so broken and so hard because it hasn't kept up to date with itself. And by doing that, I mean, like, Unless the, th- the, the it, my argument for this is unless the theater doors are open, you're not really making money. You're making ticket sales, but like beyond that, like what you maybe get some money from merch, and that's really kind of it, right? So why would you not have the ability to have people pay and watch it online from home? There's so many f- productions across this country and in other countries that I would have paid a premium to watch in my living room. There was a production of Little Shop that was up in London a couple of years ago. And I was like, do I fly to London for a day to see this? And it was just cost prohibitive. But if I could have paid 50 bucks to sit at home and watch it, I absolutely would have done it. And I know that hundreds I am of not people a, too. Yeah. Right. I'm not a singularity here. Like if you could watch that production across the globe, think of how much money those producers would have made and mm-hmm. made up for by investing in that show. And I really hope that this, I think the show is called From Riverside to Crazy or something like that. And I really hope that by doing this, they completely show like metrics and numbers and money and just break that entire assumption. And somehow we're able to do that with shows moving forward that like some kid in Indiana who loves musical theater and feels completely alone in that like is able to pay $15, $20 to watch a show at night and see a piece of theater and a piece of Broadway that is hundreds of miles away that they never would have been able to see until maybe they were in their thirties. And how would that impact that kid? You know, like it's, it's just the accessibility and the, the technology that we have now, like use it for the benefit of the, of the greater whole piece, you know, like cultivating a new theater audience and making people money. Can you you, do both? Can you appreciate how many bottom lines you said there? 
Like bottom <laughs> bottom line, no bottom line, the performers make more money, right? Bottom line, yeah. people don't have to travel to on the other side of the world to do this. People, bottom line, there is this chronological sense of satisfaction that you know you got to get this guy or, or he's not or or, the, or when the show's done, that's done forever. You know, yeah. like the, the sh- I watch I watched the uh, video version of the Taming of the Shrew uh, of the play. Mm-hmm. Someone videotaped the play. Yeah. If I didn't see that, that I would have hated Shakespeare. I did not like Shakespeare. I was I was in fear of Shakespeare, and then I just saw this, like when he was trying to court her, and I, I was in San, it was a San Francisco it was a San Francisco production, it was absolutely fantastic, and I'm like, I hope it's on YouTube somewhere because my my um theater professor, my theater history professor Gordon Farrell, um had um the VHS tape, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He had to, we had to, first of all, we had to find one, you know, cause yeah. he, cause even in 2006, VHS was like disappearing. Was so, not a thing anymore. so we had to yeah, find well, one, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and to that point too, I mean, like there's a lot of arguments saying that if you watch it online or you watch, see a bootleg of it that, you know, Oh, well then they've seen it and they're not going to come see it in person or when it tours or whatever. And that's absolutely not true. Like mm. if think, think of if that were, if that kid in Indiana saw a production of like, you know, I don't know, like Hamilton online, which you can do. Right. Like, do you think that they're not going to go see the tour when it comes through? Like, no, how exciting is that? The people that you saw on the TV are here in town. Like, Think of any celebrity, any rock star. Like you buy the album, you listen to it. That doesn't mean that you're not gonna go see them live when they come through town. You know, like let's let's what's the logic? I don't understand. Let's have a little fun. <laughs> let's have a little fun here. Is there okay. is there a play that you heard was really, really good that you wish you were there to see? Oh, I didn't get to see uh Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. Who was in it? The last the last time that they did it. I don't remember who was in it. Doesn't matter. Oh, it's, God, it's a great play. It? Who cares? <laughs> I know it doesn't matter, but it was this it was this specific mm. production that was up and running before quarantine and shutdown. Yeah. Cause like everyone who had seen it was like, oh my God, it was so good. And I never got a chance to see it. And I would have loved to see it. What I would have seen, wish I saw was the seagull. It was in England and it was up for the London Evening Standard Award. It's like 2002 and Dominic West. I don't know if you ever saw The Wire. The guy that played Officer McNulty, he's mm-hmm. actually a Brit putting on the perfect Baltimore accent. And the sad thing was, I was in England. <laughs> you know, I was at a at a at a reggae concert, Buju Bantan, uh, and um, and I, Dom, they said Dominic West was awesome, but but I did get to see the one in Shakespeare in the Park, where um, oh, good, Kevin yeah. Klein was Constantine, mm-hmm. um, Arcadino was Meryl Streep. And Christopher Walken <laughs> played Soren. So oh um, just a great, oh man, just, uh, yeah, that was my, my second Shakespeare in the Park. What was your yeah. first one? I know you've seen some. And Shakespeare in the Park? Yeah. I, you know, it's it's funny you should ask. I didn't see one until 2012. Right. Um, And it was, you know, it ties into my cancer story too. I had never seen anything in Shakespeare in the Park. I was finally living close enough. I had moved to the Upper West Side at that point. And wow, you trip, of, you fall, you're there. <laughs> right. Like one of my friends messaged me and was like, Hey, I have an extra ticket to see Into the Woods tonight. Do you want to come? And I was like, Yes. And so I got to see the Amy Adams uh Into the Woods with Jesse Miller and and just it was just a beautiful production. And I just sat there and cried the whole time, you know? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I was like going through chemo, like shit was bad. I hadn't done my I hadn't done my stem cell transplant yet. And Into the Woods is one of my favorites. So 
you know, and just having the backdrop of Central Park behind them doing that show mm-hmm. and that set design and that cast, it just, everything about it was perfect. Yeah. And I just, that was my first one. And it's really my only one. I The only other thing I've seen there, I think, is Twelfth Night with Danielle Brooks. I think that was Twelfth Night. Am I making that up? No, was that was Danielle... Daniel Brooks. Yeah, it was like two seasons ago. Yep. Um, well, no. Oh, my God. I guess it was longer than that. Four years no, ago. No, it was oh, like... We... No, I think I might have still been in New York for that one, but you know, I think it might have been 2016, but but maybe 2018. I'm not sure. I don't really know, but it, whatever. We yeah, get, we 2018 get the point. <laughs> makes more sense. So yeah, that's 2018 makes more sense. Mm-hmm. So yes, those are the only two I've seen, unfortunately. And yeah. you know, there was one, there well, was one a couple years later. But mine wasn't even Shakespeare. It was Chekhov. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? My mine was Chekhov, and then the second yeah. one I saw was Mother Courage, which was Brett. So. um so, but 1991, Denzel Washington, Richard II. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and the good thing about this too, it, and I don't think a lot of people know this or or practice keeping up with it, but like Lincoln Center for a lot of stuff like that, they film it for archive and you can go to the Lincoln Center Performing Arts Library and watch it. You know, so like wow. the Jerry Orbach 42nd Street that you've seen, I've also seen it. I saw it on a little TV with like grainy film, but like <clears> I got to see it because they filmed it and archived it. A uh, question about um, now I got to be in interview mode because musical theater is more your wheelhouse where I was more of a straight play guy. Um, <clears throat> how much there's there's an old saying Sanford Meisner said an ounce of behavior is worth a pound of words. Mm-hmm. How much do you go? where you want to give the audience excitement, but at the same time, not go too far where you're like, all right, they get it. Do you understand my question? I don't know. All right, here's an example. Can you phrase the question? <laughs> here's an example. Our, our, um, Falstaff, right? Uh, Henry IV, right? You can go, the rascal hath removed my horse <laughs> and tied him, I know not where, right? Or you can go, if I move but four foot by the squire further afoot, I shall break mine wind. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying like overdoing it right. or versus underdoing it. Yeah, they say an ounce of behavior is worth a pound of words. So in terms of musical theater, I'd like you to educate me and my audience because, I mean, most of my audience are freaking athletes. <laughs> this is this is just an absolute... <laughs> dude, it's an absolute pleasure. I mean, um, for the record, I played football and I played basketball and we nice. were... My team was state champs and I also sang the national anthem at those games and I was... I Like, hindsight, I was fucking badass for doing that. Don't say but you was, did it at Baruch College. <laughs> no, I <laughs> no, it wasn't in New York. It was in Pennsylvania. But like football, I was terrible at. I hated it. But basketball, I actually was quite good at. I'm six four, so like that was on my side. Um, but and I mean, I love volleyball. I would wish I would have played volleyball. I wasn't allowed to. We didn't have a boys team. But um, you know, basketball was. Oh God, I loved. I loved it. I hated my yeah. teammates, but I loved playing. The sport in itself is pure, and if you if you're lucky enough to have good teammates, you can enjoy that. Volleyball is yeah. very much the same because it's sixes unless unless you're playing doubles on the beach. Um, yeah. you know, I'm a former pro well, indoor guy um, that moved yeah. here, moved here, and now I'm balancing my time coaching the beach and doing color commentary and uh, for adults and juniors for indoor. So. Yeah, but let's talk about it. Ounce of behavior, pound of words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I was going to tie this into basketball, too, because, like, you know, I think for musical theater, basketball is a lot like musical theater, right? Like, you just keep, you got to keep going. You know, you've got to keep going and you go up and down the stage or the court or whatever until you, until you, like, hit, hit the basket and get, and get the scene done, right? Um, But for musicals, I mean, 
and I think this is true with with plays too. Like ounce of behavior, like whatever. Like if you're telling the truth and you're being truthful and you're telling what is supposed to be told in your way and it makes sense to the story and the text and the scenario, then I kind of think it doesn't matter. And who cares? You know, because the truth is always going to resonate with people. And that's all that's all actors really are, right? Like we put on a show, yes, but we're just telling you the truth. Right. And sometimes you don't want to hear the truth. And sometimes the truth is hard. And sometimes the truth is entertaining. And sometimes the truth is funny. But I think as long as you're just telling the truth, it kind of doesn't matter if you're going over the top or what's perceived to be not far enough. You know, that's what the director's for. The director is there to kind of like take what you want to bring to it and polish it down to what his or her or their vision of it is. Um, you know, so like all the Shakespeare hand motions of like basically giving you over dramatized hand motions versus you, like you don't see that. Mo- small. Yeah. You don't really see it with the older actors. You see it with some of the younger guys just trying to come out and just trying to whatever. But yeah, I mean, some of the more seasoned and, guys, you don't see that. Yeah. I mean, and I don't really, I don't know if I understand that or have seen enough of it really to speak on it, but I mean, I think the universal, the universal truth here is the truth. Like if you're telling it, then it doesn't matter what you're doing as long as it makes sense. Yeah. So educating my audience who think a lot of people are putting on a role and it's, and it's completely fabricated. uh, I'll say, I'll speak for both of us on this. Acting is real human behavior in imaginary circumstances. So yeah. it is. So uh, echoing your sentiment, it is real. It is grounded. It does come from from an honest place. And as it a question of whether it's interesting or not is really up to um, the actor and the audience that decides they are. You know. So yeah. Well, I mean, and one of my favorite <clears throat> things to do with with a script, and every time I get a script, I'm kind of like I'll read it a couple times, and with my focus on my character, obviously, but then also the characters around them, mm-hmm. and kind of figure out what's wrong with them. Like I used to say, like, what makes this person crazy? But it really is just kind of like, what's wrong with you? Like, what's, what is your thing? You know, like, like, for example, if, if this particular character, like if there's a context clue that maybe alludes to the fact that, you know, they were beat up as a kid, like that, you carry that with you. Like whether you know it or not, you carry it with you. So like, let's add that into the mix. Like, you know, I was picked on as a kid. I was, I've been made fun of, of for my weight at times in my life. And <clears throat> excuse me. And I carry that with me. And I know that when I'm walking around town and I pass a window or, or a glass surface, I look in and, and like immediately I'm like, okay, like I'm not as skinny as I was when I was 22. Like obviously, duh, we all do that. But I carry that thought process with me. And it's like, oh, do I look skinny today? Like, oh, how do I look okay? Do I look okay? And like that affects the way that I maneuver throughout the day. So when I get a script, I look for that. What are they carrying with them? Like, what is the thing that they carry with them all day, every day, all the time? Yeah. And, you know, some some are easier to do than others. But, you know, I mean, in the conversation of 42nd Street, like Julian was easy. He was scared. Yeah, like all the time. fucking scared. <laughs> All the time. And everything he did was based off of fear that he wouldn't be the success that he always thought he was going to be and didn't get a chance to be because of the crash. Dude. And yeah. Sorry. Like, finish your thought. No, no, it's okay. You're fine. But it, it's it's just stuff like that where you like have to find it in the script and then you're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, so th- there were moments like 
I don't know if I consciously did this at first or didn't or or didn't, but when I was doing the show, like it was it was very much like having those moments where he's not talking a mile a minute, which is a very Julian thing. Um, and bossing people around where he would have these moments where it was just like, oh shit, like okay, what's the next step? Like I don't know what the next step is. And then it would come to him. Because like the next step is the most important step because it's one step closer to him being successful again and him living up to whatever he needed to live up to. And, you know, that didn't come across with like, oh my God, I have to like go and sell the tickets and make the show. (laughs) Because that's not who he is. Um, (laughs) You didn't mean to do that. It was funny. It's an involuntary reflex, but go ahead. Right, right, right. He has a a tick. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's not that. And like, I hate it when actors are like, oh, I'm just going to decide that this person has like a, a left eye twitch. Like that's, that's bullshit. That's because you're like jerking yourself off and trying to be like, I'm an actor. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's not the truth. And so like, bad. if you can, fi- if it's in the script and you can find it and you can justify it, go for it. Yeah. But you know, Hey, you know, going back to what you said before, I just want to say this before we leave that, that, that subtopic bullies are bullshit, man. <laughs> dude, bullies are bullshit, dude. I, um, I actually was left school for a year. No one knew my parents. No one knew. I, I, I did not go to school for a year. Uh, Because I was getting bullied and then um, it and it didn't happen because I was constantly getting bullied. It happened because I snapped and I'm not six one, but I'm a big guy. I used to be two sixty five. I dropped I dropped 60 pounds. I I took on a I'll tell you that story later. But uh, I snapped. And before I knew it, I was like choking the life out of someone. And like the next day, I heard like 15 Russian guys were looking for me because I went to school, oh. John, John Dewey in Brooklyn. And it's next to, it's one stop from kind of like Coney Island and the Brighton Beach kids. You know, the Russian Jews go there. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> I found out like 15 Russian dudes were looking for me and I'm just like, okay, I ain't going back to school. And I would spend the entire day at the arcade and in the middle of school, I would stick my head in school, you know, go to power volleyball class and, and acting, acting for, uh, acting for the camera and then disappear again because John Dewey was an independent study school, meaning that half the classes didn't have teachers. So mm-hmm. there were kids roaming around all the time. They were independent study courses. You take, you take the objective, take the midterm final, they give you a grade. So that's 50% in their classes. So it was very easy for me to show my face and not show up. And, and, and I did that for a year. Um, and I was just so <laughs> disappointed. Just, and I was just, dude, I was just like you. I'd walk by in the mirror and I'm just like, dude, I'm huge. I'm yeah. huge and I'm letting little people bully me. You know, well, and, what's, what's and I'm like, and, 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 I'm, like, and I'm pretending that it's on me, but I'm going to get, yeah. go ahead, go ahead, you go, because I'm, I'm yeah, no, and, and what's really fucked up about that too, is like, especially when you're a bigger person, you, you develop this really fun body dysmorphia where even when you're like Skeletor and there's nothing on you, you're still like, I'm a fat bitch. <laughs> and I look back at photos of me from when I first moved here and like, mm-hmm. I was walking all over the place trying to find a job in the city and like doing the hustle at like 19 and you know when you're that age your metabolism's through the roof and i was also not eating because they didn't have any money because i didn't have a job and like you know (laughs) i see pictures of me from back then i'm like you look dead you have no anything on you whatsoever and i still thought that i was fat and disgusting yeah i know how you feel yeah there's one there's one picture of me singing at don't tell mamas and i'm like adjusting my polo shirt and it's just like rib cage and i remember standing there thinking like i have to pull on my the reason why the photo exists is because i was pulling on my shirt to get it away from my body because i thought that it was making me look too fat but yeah then, like, and you didn't want people to see you. at it 
Right. And right? looking back in hindsight, it's like, those are my hip bones and those are my ri- ribs and yeah. that's my sternum. And you can clearly see it yeah. through oh, the shirt. Well, we, all like, we all like ribs. Like, oh, so like ribs. stupid. <laughs> we all Dumb. love ribs. But Blazer I know, cunts. I think you you were thinking someone would see you and be like, so are you auditioning for Passion of the Christ? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, because all you saw was ribs in that movie, man. But um, yeah. No, but I had the same problem because when I lost weight, um, this is 2001. I lost. I took on a trainer, and I started eating five times a day, and I lost 65. Well, net weight 65 pounds, but I I lost as much as 85. Felt mm-hmm. a little weaker and got back to a certain weight. So I got from two 265 to 186 to like 205. And what happened was when I went back to Marymount, you know how like all the theater rooms have mirrors on them or whatever? So I would look at myself, I'd pull my shirt up, look at myself in the mirror and the girls and even the professor are just like, dude, stop admiring yourself. You're so narcissistic. And I'm just like, there's a story behind this. (laughs) I'm not, this isn't like, I love me. This is like, I look at a mirror and this is not me. This is, I was like a year and a half removed from this. Yeah. 65 pounds dude that's a fucking backstreet boy you know so i mean um right that's a michael jackson (laughs) so um (laughs) no i get it it so so a lot of people say they know how you feel but i can't and i'm not saying i know exactly how you feel but i get it i can't pretend this to know exactly how you feel but i understand (laughs) no yeah totally well and the other thing too like Mm -hmm. you know i I always thought of myself as being a big kid and like as a little kid I was, but then once I hit middle school, high school, I like shot up. Like I said, I'm six, four and like moving to the city and like running all over the place and like losing all this weight, like starving and running around trying to like be a human. Um, What really fucked me up, I think was like at that point I was like 185 pounds and 185 pounds. I'm all rib cage. And again, at six, really four. Tall. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I, I like, so again, like 185 pounds when I had cancer, I went from 250 of like pretty solid muscle at that point for the most part. I didn't even get to 185 when I was at my worst, like pumped full of chemo half dead. And the lowest I got was 210. And wow. to think that I was 20 plus pounds less than that at one point in my life is like, ooh, girl. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> I got out of boot camp. Uh, for, I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky for basic training. Um, 199. And they said I was four pounds overweight <laughs> um, from my height, which was 6'1", which we both – you're shaking your head because we both know that's that's – that's bullshit Who thank cares? you four, that's nonsense four pounds four pounds once you get past like yeah. once you get past like six foot four pounds is yes. like go take a shit and you're done yes <laughs> and as a matter of fact i did take one and lost like two right <laughs> like here's a dude here's a douche go shove it up your ass and irrigate and like come back and reweigh yourself like there's the four pounds have a good day i hate that shit that makes me so mad it i does. played when i played football i there was a weight limit tier because mm-hmm. of the ages of like the people on the team, they didn't want to like have anyone be killed. Right. And I was like eight or nine pounds yeah. over the limit. Well, living's and important, they, but go ahead. Right. They still let me on the team, but they threw my ass in trash bags and a sweatshirt and had me run around the field. Oh. I never did. I really never did practice mm-hmm. because I was running around the field in a trash bag. 
Jesus. Yeah. Like, well, and the first time they made me do it, I just like collapsed and cried. And like my poor dad, like he was yeah. the one that talked me into doing it and he was there and I just mm-hmm. like ran over to him and cried. And I, and I don't know this to be true and it doesn't, it seems out of character for him, but I'm sure mm-hmm. that there was like a moment of like, Oh, my fucking like gay kid is crying at me at a football practice. But it, that's out of character for him. So I'm totally projecting that and making the <laughs> Come on, even <laughs> even Tom Hanks was like, there's no crying in baseball, right? <laughs> Remember when like, Madonna was crying? I, he's like, are you crying? There's oh, yeah. no crying I, I in played, baseball. <laughs> I played baseball for seven years. I got hit in the face with a baseball and fucking ran off the field crying, didn't bleed. And then years later, like decades later, I was getting um, a scope done of like my sinuses in my throat and the doctor like you you go up your nose and it goes down the back of your thing and it looks around and the doctor was like oh when did you break your nose and i was like i have never broken my nose he's like oh no you did four different places (laughs) And, and but it's like it's on this side and it's up in the bridge so it never like it never shifted anything but it's been like that since I was like seven. <laughs> Does it affect your breathing, or you you do you breathe okay? I don't think so. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I I have no idea. Yeah. I didn't even know it was broken until like six years ago. I still think I don't. I broke mine in four different places, and I still don't think I'm breathing well. I mean, I gotta figure figure that out without without yeah. anybody altering what. Now what I'm already, now I'm conscious yeah. about it. Now I'm like trying to breathe through my nose to be like, is it is it fucked up? <laughs> is it? Am I not? Mm. <laughs> Um, Damn it! <laughs> question. <laughs> See what I did? Hey, here's yeah. here, here's the ultimate distraction. Let's get back to musical theater. Um, was there? All right, I'll shape the question like this: Shakespeare um, did Titus Andronicus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, his blockbuster that allowed him to do some of the, the work that he wanted to do, like Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet and all that stuff. Um, very much like George Clooney, right? Did ER and did like that Jennifer Lopez movie, Out of Sight, so he could mm-hmm. do Syriana, so he could do Good Night and Good Luck and what Men at Stare at Goats and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Was, this is a random question that just came in my head and I guess we get, just, we get to do whatever the fuck we want. Was there a play that you that you made some money on that allowed you to to do some of the work that you like to do or is all of the work you like to do and it's just part of your journey what do you mean like was, are you asking like how I mean, much i was paid i mean you like, love <laughs> no i mean you love musical theater and this and that but at some point you got you got you have to make money doing it so was there a oh, particular yeah. play that was a money maker that gave you permission to do some of the work that you wanted to do absence of of like a fat check well, I mean, unfortunately, in theater, there's really no such thing as a fat check, right? Like, you know, if you look at some of these contracts across the country, whether they're equity or otherwise union or not not union, um, they're all paying garbage for the most part. You know, like, I, I think the most I ever made a week was maybe 700, mm. 700 a week on a contract. And, you know, at the time, like, my rent was cheap, my life was cheap. So that was like, oh, great. Oh, my God, yeah. I'm making so much money. Because that's a, in a top percentile of the amount of money that you can make as an actor across the country. And there are theaters that are exceptions, like the bigger ones. Um, I know, like, uh, Sacramento Music Circus pays more. I know the Muni pays more. Ambas- um, ambassador, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of them. But, like, and Broadway obviously pays more than that, too. That's a different contract here. But, like, the majority of people work regionally. So, like, a fat check in theater, like, relative to what? You know, like, relative to TV, 
what a joke like right. absolutely not um but i think because my life was so inexpensive during the period of time where i was really really working like there were years where i was just like out of town like on the road like i just am not here um i i really like 2015 was a really rewarding year i was making good money at that point i had really leveled up to the amount of money that i was making and I was doing shows that I really loved. Like I got to do Bonnie and Clyde. I got to do Into the Woods. I got to do 42nd Street. There were two other shows that year that I did that I'm not remembering. I'm going through the whole list right now. (laughs) Yeah, but like but like they were really rewarding shows and my casts were wonderful. And I'm still friends with some of those people. And you know, like the money was needed and necessary and good, but that year really like fueled me for a really long time. I was out in Kentucky. I got to do the Kentucky Derby. I went there and just like, like on a day off and did that for a week. And it was so fun. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, <clears throat> it was about the money, but it wasn't, you know, yeah, like, not, you, I think you, 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 <clears throat> you hit it on the, on the basic theater performer head, <laughs> you know, like when I was at Marymount, I went to, I, I lived in Harlem. <laughs> I got my cheap on the, before it became fully gentrified, right? Cheap apartment. And I did a lot of free work. So, um, same, same thing, but, and yeah. thank I don't you. Think I thank you did. for making that question seem incredibly stupid, but at the same time, still, inter- <laughs> still interesting. <laughs> it, was still, no, it, wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a stupid question yeah. at all. I mean, it, it's true. Like, it was interesting. It's, it's, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I, like, if you're on Broadway and you're you're I think the minimum for Broadway right now is like 2400 a week or 2500 a week which is like you know for the average person a really really big check but when you take take into consideration that like how long is that show open how long is that contract if your contract yeah. 6 months like okay that's a good amount of money but then you might not work for a year yeah there's no you know, there's no so, 100 shows a year anymore that doesn't exist no i mean like yeah. it just kind of de- it depends on i mean there are but it just, it's it's very and it's few it varies and there are few and far between so you know i mean doing theater for money i always say to people um when these kind of conversations come up and because of an experience that I recently had, which we can get into, um, do not make it your whole life. I know that there is a narrative out there that like you have to drink it, breathe it, sleep it, eat it, do it all day, every day, or you don't want it enough and you don't deserve it. And like, that's just not fucking true. How long one. does someone last <laughs> doing that? Well, I mean, the you burnout know? conversation is a separate conversation, but yes, I mean, that's that's valid. But it's also just like, you know, you don't have to stay waiting tables or bartending to survive. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. I did that for years. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I'm not trying to shade that industry. It's a hard one and you can make a lot of money doing it, but you also don't have to do that in order to also be an actor. I mean, like there are people you hear stories all the time of people like um, rebel Wilson. I mean, she was a lawyer and was like, I'm going to be an actor. And yeah. just like could afford to do it because she was making enough money as a lawyer to support yeah. herself i worked in a cardiology but, practice <laughs> right i mean like you have to yeah. have something you have to have something else that actually pays the bills now whether that's a company that you've started yourself or a tech career or something that you can work remotely that's flexible like whatever it is you have to have something else that is not theater because theater will go away it will stop you will have droughts right. no one is working 100 percent of the time 
And so like jumping from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant to restaurant, like, cool. If you're built for that, congratulations. Yes, because some me. people are because and, and I'm not either. And, and props to them. I do not have that brain cell anymore. Right. But, you know, being able to start your own business or being able to work within a space that like is totally cool if you do out for a couple months and work remotely while you go do a show like you like. And and I'm saying this because last year I was hired for the national tour of Chicago. I was Billy Flynn. We were going out on the road. It was the 25th anniversary tour. They're out now. I'm still friends with those people. I have absolutely no shade to them whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> this was nothing anyone really did. But at the last minute, I was replaced. And I wasn't given any reason why. I still haven't. And I don't care. But if I didn't have something else in my life that was like supporting me and giving me a job to do... I could have spiraled and fallen apart. Right. I am. Um, you stumbled onto something very, very important that that um, in your wheelhouse is significant, but at the same time, to for other people, um, this I won't call it an escapism, but something that that you you need to do outside of this. You know. Um, yeah, it's not escapism. It's no. survival. Well, you know, it's, it's they're for not. Your mental but those health. Are, it's like. But those things know. are not always separate. Your survival could be your escapism, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so but, but I mean, mm -hmm. you know, living in a capitalist society where we have to pay for everything, you know, which there's nothing wrong with, like, no. great. But, you know, you have to make money. Money has to be there. And mm -hmm. so whether it's escapism or survival, like, you still have to do it. And I, I so, think I was making more reference to something that allows you, something you need to escape to that allows you to come back and do your job that makes money. You know what yeah. I'm saying? For example, sure. when volleyball, right? When this was my escapism, but when it became my career, my full-time career, yeah, I needed something else that I could do that allows me to come back and function like a mammal. You know, walk on two legs and drink fucking water. Uh, um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So for me, it was karaoke. Just that's just an example, all right? My wife, she likes to go to the Caymans and swim with sharks and pet sharks. Come on, swim along with me, you know. And I'm like, have a good time, you know. <laughs> Which is also living proof that. To have a relationship, a good relationship, you don't have to do everything together. Because <laughs> I ain't yeah, doing that. <laughs> come, come on, let's swim with sharks, man. What do you say, bro? Uh, uh, yeah, good luck with that. So I, yeah. I, I didn't mean to steer us a different direction, but I, th no, I but thought I mean, we could cover I, I that that subject matter twofold. Right, right. I know, I know what you're saying, and I, I think that the the difference is like I'm talking about having two different careers, one that fuels you and one that pays you. Got you. And I think what you're talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, is having a career and a hobby, like something that you can step walk away from the career from and go do that, like is, a, is an escape, like going swimming with sharks or whatever. Right. You know, and, and both of them are valid and you should absolutely do both of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the reference that I was making in terms of having something else was more so like theater is not going to pay the bills in the way that you want it to. Like, it, it, unless something big changes within the industry soon, it never will. And, you know, it, but you it had some ideas, man, in the beginning. Didn't mean to, I have you know, so many of didn't them. Didn't mean to break your I, flow, but God damn it. That was so, yeah. Go ahead. Thank you. No, well, and listen, I mean, I have so many of them, but I'm not going to give them away for free. People can pay me for those. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it, it's just the idea of like, if you want to do theater and that's really the path you want to go down, good, do mm -hmm. it but also have something that like pays you enough money that you can afford to do it because it is an expensive industry to be in. And it is not one that pays enough for, to negate those costs a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think the one thing that that in volleyball has in common, it's everyone refers it to as a rich person sport. 
<laughs> you know, you, you, you got to have money to um, like right now because beach volleyball is an NCAA sport. Mm-hmm. All of the club sizes for juniors have tripled because now it's a oh, business because wow. now you can get a scholarship and you know a full scholarship and play so now like all of these juniors clubs it's a business because people are trying to get their daughter so they're spending extra time for private lessons they go with these elite these elite clubs some of them have good coaches some of them have glorified babysitters whatever and yeah once once it became a business like you said it, it, the rich man where the, the the richer people are the ones this there's a reason why usc is like the two-time defending beach champions it's it's not <laughs> it's university to spoil children okay it's not it's not so, oh southern God, california funny. it's yeah yeah um nyu is very much like that too you know they have a good division three men's volleyball team that kind of that can beat up on a d1 team um yeah, uh, very, very good point. And I, I, I steered us a little bit away, but the broader That's point, okay. the broader point you were trying to make certainly prevails because the message for the people, whether you're in theater or not, that is something that brings that brings new meaning to the term bears repeating, <laughs> if you get what I'm saying. So, yeah, no, totally. So you're having a good time, right? You're chilling, you're doing theater, and all of a sudden you got this lump. Yeah. Um... What was it? Lymphoma? I have it. I have it written down. And and I'm God. I'm such a no, moron. Okay. I'm it's, such a moron was, from uh, Brooklyn. But you you're in the middle of doing hairspray, right? Or or or, yeah, or working was, the the musical hairspray. Yep, and then you Reno, noticed. Nevada. Then you noticed. Um, God damn it! Am I putting a Debbie Downer on this shit? We're having such a good time. <laughs> no, I mean, listen. I I can absolutely make a joke out of cancer. I've been doing it for years. So let's let's go. <laughs> let's. So. Um, I have it written here. It's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's a form of cancer. And you're, you're doing hairspray, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're having a good time. You're doing your thing. And then there's a lump on your body. The floor is yours. There was actually, there was actually a lump before I got there. It was really small and I was misdiagnosed and, uh, I just was kind of given antibiotics and told to go along my merry way. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Great. And by the time we got out there and I, we started performances and the show was running and whatever, it was a very long contract. Um, I, it had grown. It was like the size of a grapefruit by the time I left there. And it just became more and more evident the longer I was there that like something needed to be done. And so the timeline of that was like the contract was over, like right before Thanksgiving, I came home, had Thanksgiving with my parents and like went back to the city got a biopsy done and by the first week of december i was checked into a hospital for like two weeks for chemo merry christmas Jesus. yeah <laughs> yeah you're like santa you suck <laughs> yeah no well, i mean and i thankfully i was i was out before mm-hmm. christmas mm-hmm. barely but i was i was and so i was able to like go home and spend christmas with family and i at that point i still like looked and felt pretty normal and okay um but yeah i mean it was just five months of that and then radiation and all kinds of complications and a stem cell transplant and then you know it was gone and i was okay but i mean along the way you know i lost friends who stopped talking to me i was broken up with in the middle of it and uh you know there was some really weird shit happening but at the same time like i had great friends around me and it made it bearable it made it fun in some instances like one of my favorite stories that I kind of forgot about, but I, I'm recording the audiobook for this now, and it, I remembered it because I read the chapter. 
um, is about a night that we were at Sloan Kettering right before my stem cell transplant. And my two best friends came over and uh, we had a pizza party in the room. I mean, they were the ones that were at the pizza party situation with me. Um, you know, like, again, like when I f- was starting to tell people that I was diagnosed with cancer, I had friends not <clears throat> stick stick around. And so... Um, and you a know, significant ones... other, right? Yeah. And yeah. so the ones that were um, in my hospital room with me all the time, like that was kind of like, they had already been around for a couple of years at that point, but you know how like, you know, people can be wishy-washy and disappear. After something like that, I, I mean, like, California. I, yeah. I have no questions about who my friends are and who will be there for me and, you know, who will bring a shovel if we need to hide a body, you know, like it's, it's just... I know who those people are in my life and that's such a relief. And it was, it was only brought to my attention last uh, during shutdown that not everyone has that. And that made me so fucking sad because it never occurred to me that people don't have that. It's like, you got to have at least like one. Right. And like a good friend of mine, I was talking to him and I was like, Oh yeah. Like he was like, how's your shutdown? And I was like, well, you know, this friend lives two blocks away and this friend's three blocks away and this friend's across the park. And like, you know, I, I'm friends with my neighbor and I know this girl down the street and they were like, you're so lucky. I was like, why? Like, where do your friends live? And he's like, I don't have friends like that. Oh, man. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Oh, God. Like, it's like, you need a, you need a quarantine, bro. <laughs> right? You need yeah, a quarantine. I mean, I had, I had a whole damn squad. Like, yeah. it, was, yeah. it was a good time. And, and the majority of those friends were the ones that were there. You know, like I've known, I've gotten to the point now where I've lived in New York long enough, almost 18 years that like, I can say I've known people for 10, 15 plus years. I think it's safe and to like, say at this point you're a New Yorker. I mean, right? I, years, I sure fucking am. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Dude, my girl's you know. from West Virginia, but 15 years. When you put in 15 in New York, you're a New Yorker. So, yeah. yeah. I, I remember when I first moved there, it was 10. And I was like, okay, well, I got to make it to at least 10. So, like, so I can at least just say it. You did it. And you're and, going on uh, two decades right now. So. I did it. Oh, fuck. I know. Jesus. I'm at the point now where I've lived in New York almost as long as I've, I've lived in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. which is like just so jarring i'm closer to the age my parents were when i moved to new york than i am to the age that i was when i moved to new york um let me ask you something about the cancer thing you you did um stem cell um replacement it was a replacement is that what it's uh, the nom- it was a transplant yeah yeah and transplant can you educate our audience because right now you're you're an aficionado on it right because because you were you were neck deep in it can you educate my audience on um some of the dangers dangers versus benefits of of stem stem cell um, yeah replacement yeah i mean at this point i'm like a doctor i mean not really but you know no you are nobody nobody (laughs) should ever dude no one should ever say are you a doctor at this point well what you went for what you went through the first person to ask for a doctor i'm gonna reach through the screen and i'm gonna pull out their fucking heart great yeah i'll take it Mm -hmm. um yeah so i mean there's two different types of stem stem cell transplant one where you are your own donor and one where someone else is and the one where someone else is your donor is super dangerous because you have to take basically antiretrovirals for the rest of your life to make sure that you are maybe that's not the right word is it antiretroviral i don't remember it is it's something to make your new stem cell immune system not reject your body or your body reject the stem cells um, and it can really fuck you up. It can cause a lot of different problems. And that's originally what they wanted me to do. And I said, no, 
Um, you know, and I had to really stand up for myself and put my foot down and be like, I'm 25. I was in the best shape of my life when I got here. I will be my own donor. Thank you. And we barely got there, but it happened. Good. And I, I ended up being my own donor. <laughs> are you, are you a doctor? So much... <laughs> Not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Um, but I ended up being my own donor and that made it so much easier. It made the survival rate much higher. Um, the rejection rate is basically zero because it's your own fluids. Your body recognizes it not as foreign. And, um, yeah, it was a wild ride. It was, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Here you are. Here you I know. And again, I remember before the podcast, we were talking about ups and downs like this isn't, you know, it's not completely fun. It still sucks in, in some ways and this and that. But but I got to tell you something, just being in the podcast and watching you light up when you talk about theater really, really makes me miss it. That's what I, something I said before the podcast, or because my memory's not, not that bad. We, I probably said it in the podcast and I'm repeating it. But, um, but I was like, dude, if this is you going through stuff i can't imagine when i can't i, I want to i'd like to be along for that ride when when you think things are going well because i really really i'm i just enjoy listening to people talk about you know the love for their wheelhouse and, and because yeah. theater was my wheelhouse a while back um yeah well, i did I mean, um listen as my best as play I was keep... my, my best play was fucking a uh, susan laurie parks <laughs> susan laurie parks who won a pulitzer for that for best drama yeah yeah um, no i mean yeah. listen as long as i keep going then it's all good no doubt no doubt and yeah and i have this saying about friends one cannot be betrayed if one doesn't have a people uh um yeah i got well, that from what, the, the usual the, suspects actually um kevin that's Spacey. the trick to new york right like you got to find yeah. your people yep and california was hard look i live in hermosa beach but yeah. And you want to talk about phony people and knowing who your friends are when you when you were talking about who you know and your friends are, i was like this yeah. Well, I mean, look, that's and I think that's the difference between New York and, and the West Coast. Like 100%. New Yorkers won't be phony to you. They'll just not deal with you at all. Right. And I, and, I, and people got to know it's not the illogical leap of being impolite. It's just not right. pretending to be over polite, like right. phony. And just not being bothered. Yeah. Phony. Phoniness. So. Yeah. So, yeah. So what did I write down? Holy shit. An episodic an episodic version of the book. Yeah. Is that what's That's coming next? Works. That's what's coming Let's, next. Let me, I'm going too fast. Stop. Tell everybody your book first. I'm sitting there talking about episodic version. We didn't even talk about the book. Uh, um, <laughs> <clears throat> tell everybody the name of the book because I'm, I'm actually going to put it up on, on my on my edit on my podcast, what it looks oh, like. Yes, Great do. picture of you. Um, you look like a James <clears throat> Bond uh, villain. <laughs> the, the, the better looking goals, ones, not the ugly goals ones. And goals in <laughs> life. Yeah, the book is called uh, Cancer Musical Theater and Other Chronic Illnesses. It is a... Funny as cancer can be, musical theater fever dream about being a patient and a survivor of a rare cancer. Um, you don't have to like musical theater to appreciate the book. It does help. It just adds a different layer to it. Um, but it really kind of deals with a lot of what you go through as a patient that wasn't really talked about or wasn't on my radar when I became one. Um, and certainly touches upon a lot of the stuff that happens to you after the fact that you're not really prepared for or told about. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to read it tonight. <clears throat> Someone's someone's um, um someone's gonna make sure I have a copy tonight because I I really <laughs> I got back from Vegas. Call on Barnes Monday. and Noble and yell at them. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm like shame on you. 
Yeah, I got back from Vegas Monday, and it was just really, really hard. I was, um, yeah. you know, I actually drove to, and the ride, the ride there was gnarly. And I was me, I was just trying to get back without, um, yeah, get back and live. So, so now <laughs> we can talk about the episodic thing. Is it something you consider making a musical, or is that something? Yeah, that's so like it's a gonna be, play it's or, gonna be a mu- or, or, it's gonna be a musical TV show. Uh, the script and music is in the works right now, and I'm hoping to be in pre-production by the end of this, uh, by the end of the summer. Okay. Wow. The end of this summer. Yeah. So wow, the whole thing, man. You gotta, you definitely. I don't know. I'm not gonna tell you how to do your film because no one's gonna tell you that. But you gotta get that, like the bullying thing and the things that shaped who you are and just, just you know, how you lit up and, and what you appreciate at the, th- at the theater. I think it should be included, but not limited to that. So um, just my suggestion as someone who, you know, who's 52, who's done, you know, directing. I've, I've done everything, dude, you know? Yeah. I, I, went, well, on you the, I went on the date a few years ago and I've done so many things. A girl told me, like, even even if all of this is a lie, it's an interesting story. <laughs> That's what she told me. I was just like, I'm like, it's not a lie. Did I mention I'm black? <laughs> you know, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, yeah, my mom's black and um, my father yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, like, yeah. isn't. <laughs> so let's finish. Um, I have something called the lightning round. All right, let's um, do it. And you're hungry, and I know I know we got a hard stop here. So let me see if I can find my school, my clock. There it is. Let's go back to sixty seconds. And let's go, baby. You ready? Oh, hold on, I got to get my horn honk sound when it goes All right, to zero. Let's zeros. do it. All right, so whoops, it started already. No, 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 no. What are you doing? Stop that. All right, here we go. Favorite comedian? Oh, Jim Jeffries. Nice. Wow, cool. Last good book you read? I'm reading one right now called The 5 a.m. Club. I love it. Marvel or DC? Oh, neither and both. (laughs) Pool or the beach? Oh, um, beach for the sand, pool for the water. Nice. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Lord of the Rings. Bourbon, vodka, or tequila? Uh, well, when I was drinking, I was a professional bourbon drinker, so we'll go with that. <laughs> I added that in because I read that about you. I threw that in there. A favorite uh, sport as a spectator? Oh, as a spectator. Uh, tennis. Nice. Favorite action film star growing up? James Bond anything but all things bond favorite non-musical that popped into your head right now not necessarily your favorite one the one that just popped in your head now wait actually i want to rephrase the last one i want to say brendan frazier in the mummy series excellent there it is so much better okay yeah. non-musical the first one that, that popped in your head without thinking boom what is it do you mean like a play or a movie or a tv show like what non-musical anything non-musical straight play Ah, you're thinking. Oh, um, <laughs> ain't no mo. There it is, my man. Um, and so last, good. And last but not least, any fun uh, conspiracy rabbit holes? Like, Ooh. for example, me. I don't think Oswald acted alone. Uh, um. Okay. Okay. You know. Th- that's yeah. I've, I'm ex, I've, I'm ex military, and I don't um, think you can make that shot. But go ahead. Got it. Okay. Um. Oh God. There's so many, right? Um. Yeah, dude. Yes. 2000 i love the idea i love the idea that giants existed yes oh my goodness how like 
like don't know if it's true i don't want to i don't want to fall too far down that rabbit hole and get indoctrinated to it but like there's a very very promising argument to it like i've been to those places that have the really big doors and it's like this doesn't make sense yeah so i i kind of i really want to believe that there were giants and of course like then my first thought is like if there were giants like show me your dick (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) i just want to see it it's like shaquille o'neal like just let me see it i just i cannot believe that this is real (laughs) shaquille o'neal would be like yeah well the joke is that shaquille o'neal's dick is actually just kevin hart yeah um (laughs) it kind of is i wonder if it screams out loud like him (laughs) oh i love it i love it yeah but that's that's my conspiracy theory (laughs) cool um maybe plug in an ago website uh, a lot of people uh, some people want to know more about you how can i be down i want to know what he's up to want to know where he's been want to know what he's been through want to know where he's going talk to me um i if you can find me on any social media platform at edward miskey and there's always going to be a link that's going to lead you to all the other fun stuff that i do nice i like that all right people Edward like, might love you, but I don't love any of you guys. In fact, I can't stand you, all right? So I'm, this man's hungry, and I'm out of here. My wife's bringing me dinner. So for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPads, for all of you on your iPhones, for all of you on your desktop, who runs the world, baby? Old school, old school. From my man Edward Miskey, I'm Jason DeBez. This is episode 170 of the Option Podcast. Stay with me. I'm going to hit my music, and we are out of here. <laughs>